Yeah, yeah, sure. I really enjoyed this one, so I'm down to chat about it for a while. This is a fun one. Now, let me just double check. You did watch Mothra vs. Godzilla, not Godzilla vs. Mothra, right? Correct, the Showa one, not the Heisei one. Cool. Just double checking because I was doing the notes and going, oh no, for a minute, <laughs> really worried we were going to have watched two different movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a concern, but I am aware. I am aware of that complication. Cool, so. cool. I had I, entirely uh, forgotten that. the pair of them were, yeah, mirrored titles. that is instead just going to talk about moth moms and how tough they are. I'm your editor, Fletcher, and with me today... I am Chris, and today we are jumping into a new genre of sub-episode here, where we talk about the Showa Godzilla movies. Because it turns out that between Chris and I, and I think maybe Garrett, uh, a lot of us own these, and if we need something to discuss in a pinch, they're easy to do. I still need to get that Criterion collection, actually. I have, like, a... I, I don't have the whole show a set, just a set with some of them on it. Well, Christmas is coming, by which I mean Christmas in April, by which um, I mean Easter. <laughs> well, uh, my birthday is April 6th. So. Even easier. Even Easterier. Uh, and for our listeners, if you don't, if you do not have uh, the DVD or Blu-ray of uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla, also known as Mothra vs. or Godzilla vs. the Thing in its English release, uh, this one's on HBO Max actually. So a lot of these that, early can... ones are. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, huh, interesting. Uh, I will say, not as an advertisement, probably the best streaming service that we pay for in this house. Yeah, yeah. Netflix just stopped trying a while ago after they got brand after their brand took off. Yeah, if you're not into a very specific type of schlock, you're probably good there. <laughs> I like Hulu a lot just because it's got like the most content, basically. It's quite good, and yeah, we still watch some shows there, especially since you have the FX things. But yeah. And Rachel basically loves to constantly have old episodes of Bob's Burgers on a loop whenever she's feeling down. So That's a reasonable <laughs> it's choice. It's perfect for that. I have been debating making the jump into Paramount Plus, but discovering they didn't put the Showtime stuff on there has kept me off of it. I just wanted to be able to stream Tales of the Tour Bus again. <laughs> Tales of the Tour Bus? That's a new one to me. Mike Judge, very limited animation, and it's two seasons. The first is him doing the history, and it's an oral history. He talks to surviving members, bandmates, roadies, wives, etc., of country stars. And it's huh. it's very, we're not giving you a full overview of the life. We're just talking to people who were around or who remember this, and just getting the most tall tale version possible and animating it. It's great. 
<laughs> yeah, I watched uh, the first season of Silicon Valley. I meant to go back and watch the others. Cause, like, the first one was okay, but it definitely seemed like it had room to pick up. It's, uh, it's uneven, but it's good. Yeah, it did have a couple really good jokes. I mean, that, that guy fucks is was from silicon valley i believe so that's basically under the lexicon at this point you brought piss to a shit fight also pretty good <laughs> yes that was a pretty good one especially screamed at a child yeah anyhow um <laughs> so back to mothra versus godzilla mothra and godzilla um mothra is the piss and godzilla is the shit fight <laughs> but mothra is a case of i'm it's harder to know this in the West, but not all of the creatures who were in the Godzilla orbit of the Toho films were original Godzilla creations. Sure, there was Ebira and uh, Biolante and a lot of other things, but Mothra... Uh, I think Aguirre's basically only existed in the Godzilla movies. I don't think he ever had a non-Godzilla appearance. I don't actually know about Ibira. Don't don't look it up. If yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm unsure, and I am not going to kill our time just by digging into every one of them. Yeah, Baragon, Mothra, Rodan all started in movies before they uh, were brought into the Godzilla universe. And Mothra and Gamera, especially, had their own series. Were pretty well known on their own continuity. We just didn't really have that in the West. Mm-hmm. So, whole lot about it. Uh, Mothra is an interesting character because originally Mothra was used as a sort of combo anti-imperialist, colonialist, and anti-exploitation of resources tale. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, some of the Godzilla movies have kind of touched on this a little bit, where they've used Godzilla himself as that... Uh, like, there's an I, I forget what they call it, but there's an idea in Japan about, like, the the spirit of nature that, like, protects the island. The, there's, like, a story about it's, like, what kept the Mongols from invading and everything. And, like, they've cast Godzilla in that role a few times, but Mothra is, like, a much more direct reference to that idea. Do, 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 do. Uh, they actually called that kamikaze the divine wind Ka that protected right yes yes that was it wasn't expecting to see that response when i started googling that um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the film we're going to talk about today uh mothra versus godzilla is an interesting one and it's a turning point for the franchise in a lot of ways a we introduced mothra to the godzilla canon cool already a big one b this is the last time Godzilla is portrayed as the explicit villain. And even, yeah, yeah, yeah. even then it's questionable we're starting to get into force of nature territory. I mean, it's not like he'll never be the villain again. Like in GMK, he's like a weird ghost, like a like a monster ghost thing, so you know, he'll be the bad guy again. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely other times, but in the original stories, this was where we started moving towards Go Go Godzilla. You know, he's the hero of the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, Ishiro Honda, the guy who created the Godzilla character, directed. Okay, this is the fourth of the Godzilla movies. This is the third one he's directed. He didn't do raids again. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, he clearly was at least a little bit intuiting that, uh, kids were probably connecting with Godzilla. <gasps> and also, you've got a big suit and cool effects, and eventually, you know, the Godzilla design, very lasting. Some of these other fights that we've had in the time, uh, maybe that guy can't be the protagonist. Maybe that, maybe that critter's not primetime ready. Oh God. There's a whole sequence in the middle of this movie here, after Godzilla wakes up and before he and Mothra are, like, in a sequence together, where Godzilla's destruction of the city that he's in just looks like him stumbling around after waking up. Like, he's just, like, his legs are still asleep and he hasn't hit the light switch yet. He's just, like, stumbling around, breaking shit. It's almost funny. And I... You could see some intentional callbacks to that in Shin Godzilla, actually. Mm -hmm. When we have the, uh, I believe it's just called the goofy eyes form. A lot of people refer to it as just kind of hiya, 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 all through the middle of the town. God, I, I love how I love that fake out in Shin Godzilla. It's so good, especially because, yeah, it's it's this weird little mutant and it's clearly aping the puppet style and just like, ah. You'd be laughing if it weren't ten feet away from you. Right, right. <laughs> so, actually, before we get into, like, the specifics of the movie, I did kind of want to ask, like, what is your, like, personal experience with the Showa Godzilla movies? I, I assumed you had some, because you suggested this as, like, a subseries of episodes. I first saw them uh, partly through late-night movies, partly through one or two of them ending up on MST3K over the years, but mm. it's the whole situation about researching various things for this show, getting into tokusatsu, learning all the DNA this came out of, really made me go back, and when Criterion announced that Spine 1000 box set that was all the Showa-era Godzilla films. I picked it up, and it was a good way to visit them unaltered, I guess would be the term I want here. Because, yeah, there have been versions in the West. Hell, there's three or four different cuts of this one, depending on what printing mm -hmm. you got, what country you're in. Uh, we were starting yeah, to get uh, to where... For the most part, the dubbing on this one's pretty faithful, honestly. Like, it doesn't deviate from the plot and characterization of the original movie that much in English. Yeah, we we had stopped recutting them completely, like, splicing in Peter Lorre as a whole film character, but we were still chopping things up to go for, you know, maybe midnight movie status, or, ah, mm -hmm. we don't need, you know, it's too hard to make this plot work in English, so nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, in this one, the most obvious cut to me is in the Japanese version, there's an ending sequence after the the moth larvae swim out to the ocean after they are done handling Godzilla, and we cut back to the human characters waving goodbye to them and being like, and that's why people need to trust each other. And, like, that scene's just not in the American version. They just show the moth swimming out to the ocean, they just fucking cut the movie right there. <laughs> They're like, you got what you came for. <laughs> Also, no one cares about morals. At least the original cut of this changed some of the military intervention to be white dudes with flags on their uniforms. 
Yeah, yeah, there's also a weird segment right in the middle of the movie where, like, a white guy shows up all of a sudden to help the Japanese military. It's like, okay. You call that a rocket? This is a rocket, son. <laughs> it's it's uh, interesting. And I don't know that you can find that one in print anymore. I think the last time it came out was there was a 90s laser disc in Japan that was like, here's both cuts. But the version that I have that's on the it's on the Godzilla collection. I don't remember exactly who put it out. I could go I'll go grab the DVD side in a second, but it had both the American and Japanese version of the movie. Uh they say they're from the Toho Master Collection and they have a classic media is the 2007. Got it. So you have the last pre Criterion release. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that actually had the American versions. Hmm. Yeah, I was surprised when I put it in and I saw the classic media branding because I don't think I've ever seen anything else with that branding. So I don't know if that that uh, doesn't exist anymore or what. They are now DreamWorks Classics. Oh, okay. Yeah, you would have had one of the last things from them. In 2012, they became a subsidiary of DreamWorks. <laughs> Dang. Well, I think I, I picked this up from like a used... Uh, I mean, it was uh, shrink-wrapped when I got it, but I definitely picked it up just a couple years ago, and it was uh, at, a, like, a used store or something. Hmm. Huh. I'm just looking up what DreamWorks Classics has under its catalog, and this is a very interesting set of things that are currently still in their catalog. We've got Harvey Entertainment, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Richie Rich, etc., Multiple licensed Godzilla films. They just say multiple. No specification. <laughs> That's not very helpful. Um, Pre-1974 Rankin and Bass production. So Rudolph, Frosty, Santa Claus okay. is coming to town. The Sherry Lewis PBS series Lamb Chops Play Along and Charlie Horse Music Pizza. <laughs> Veggie Tales. Oh, wow. God, Veggie Tales. I haven't thought about that in forever. Anything from Filmation, so Fat Albert, He-Man, the old Archie stuff. Anything that wasn't a licensed Filmation cartoon, they've got. Yeah, I mean, Filmation was basically everything that wasn't Hanna-Barbera for a while, right? Yeah. Um, they also proceed to own He-Man, She-Ra, and uh, those are co-ownership with Mattel. Which, okay, I knew that they had. She I knew that they had Shira because they the new show had DreamWorks branding all over it. Uh, Bullwinkle Studios as well, so that's mixed with J Ward Productions. They have co ownership, and Voltron is a license they have access to, which I. Hmm. So this explains a lot of the stuff that got reboots on Netflix, actually. Yeah, yeah. They're still doing that He Man show sometime soon. Yeah, that's the Kevin Smith one, right? Yeah, I feel like that one's got an extremely tall order to fill after everybody really liked the Shira show. I need to try that Shira show. I confess I'm not looking forward to that He-Man show with a lot of enthusiasm. I might be surprised. I've been surprised by Kevin Smith before, but, yeah. you know. It's been a while since I've seen a good Kevin Smith movie, but, you know, there's always a chance. Uh, at some <laughs> point I'm going to borrow... Uh, rides again from uh, one of my family members who bought it for five bucks. She was not a fan. 
<laughs> Wait, rides again? I don't uh, Jay and Silent Bob that. ride again, or whatever. Oh, the reboot. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Apparently it was not good. Not even $5 good. Oh, damn, that's harsh. Yep. <laughs> but in, okay, so, circling back to our original topic, I basically started watching the Showa Godzilla movies. I watched both Showa Godzilla and Power Rangers from such a young age that I don't know which one I encountered first. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, uh, my biological dad, like, he, he was a big VHS guy, and he loved picking these up on VHSs. So we had, like, a pretty substantial collection of uh, VHS Godzilla movies when I was younger. And, uh, let me see. This one specifically, we never owned the VHS of. I'm pretty sure I've seen it once before, so I think that might have been on a rental. Alright. I definitely remember the first one I saw that I knew was a Godzilla movie was Versus Biollante, the giant rose monster. Biollante is a good movie. I like that one a lot. Yeah. And then I started noticing the character more because, yeah, MST3K reruns were on or could be rented. And around this time, we're, we're still in the VHS era at this point. So you had... Random things you'd find in a thrift store or in the back of a big lot, or I guess back then it was pick and save. But the whole thing, yeah, I'd, I'd see them here and there, get them on trips, rent them from warehouse before they went under. Basically, I'm just realizing that a lot of the memories I have connected to this franchise are dead chains. So that's something. <laughs> yeah, when I was a preteen, I lived in a, uh, a fairly large city in Indiana. Well, I mean, it was it's medium-sized, but it's been, like, economically decayed and a dying husk since about the year 2000. Mm. Uh, actually, no, before that. Well, several years before that. So, uh, there was a... <laughs> I, I mean, this is awfully, like, uh, like grad student <laughs> thesis, but I bet that uh, nostalgia had quite a market there. Because there were a lot of VHS rental places that had uh, some pretty extensive backstocks. Uh, they also weirdly credit the director on the this the American version of this movie as Inoshiro Honda. Apparently they credited Ishiro Honda as Inoshiro Honda sometime. Because I, when I saw it, I was like, that's a weird thing to see. And then I looked up that he was often miscredited. So, strange. That... Kind of sums up a lot of how the Godzilla franchise was treated before a certain point in the West, which is, look at these bizarre curiosities. Uh, don't don't get don't go thinking there's any value to this until we suddenly right. want to make it in Hollywood. Yeah, because like this, they um, the American International, I think, was the name of the company that licensed this at the time. They licensed this movie like a month after it came out. Oh yeah, like they got this into into American theaters very quickly after it came out in Japan. So, cause like the franchise was a huge hit in America. Yeah. We all love these. They were they were disposable, but they were blockbusters of the day. And part of that came down to someone else was doing the effects. They were a little cheesy, so you didn't have to pay top dollar for them. And they had the sort of I don't want to say this in a derogatory term, but 
they had the stink of, well, they don't need to be top quality. You don't have to give yourself the best dub on these. You don't have to put in all the effort. So you could turn them around for quick money. And then they just occasionally circulated as something you'd see played as a midnight movie. But pre-videotape, there wasn't much beyond that initial run. I definitely think that there's a... To, like, older films like this made in other countries... I, I definitely get a bit of a feeling from the audience that, like, to a lot of the white American audience watching these, that there was a little bit of a minstrel show aspect to it. I could see which that. Which is kind of gross, but, uh, you know, hey. can't I can't change history from here. And you also have to remember, it's kind of impressive that within the lifetime of people coming back from being at war with this nation, we're just like, Holy shit, these guys can make a good burner. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's... Yeah, there's a whole episode we could do on the history of Godzilla culturally, especially once we start getting to our lifetimes where you had things like the 98 US Godzilla and all the weird studio politics and drama involved in that. Mayor Ebert, oh. Mayor Ebert! But... <laughs> It's just gonna just gonna slip a weird little personal vendetta into our massive licensed property we've been trying to pull together for years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm very curious to see what happens when we get King Kong versus Godzilla later this year, because I liked Kong Skull Island incredibly. I've been lukewarm on the legendary studios. Godzilla movies thus far. They're they're perfectly okay, but I think they have some distinct flaws. They could be much mm. better. I mean, I think they're basically two for three on these. Like, I like Kong Skull Island and King of the Monsters. That first one is extremely bad, though. I think, depending on when you catch me, I don't know which one I prefer of those two. I, I really... I think I just might not be able to put up with Gareth Edwards like cinematic sensibilities. I mean that's reasonable. That... <laughs> I I just do not do not truck with that guy, I think. It happens. But yeah, so so by this point, Godzilla is a known but sort of disposable brand in the US. It it comes out quickly, you can see it. And this is a turning point for the franchise in a lot of ways. We mentioned uh, Godzilla starts changing. The character is enough of a draw that we're roping in other properties. But we're not at the point of you can find a lot of good information about this. It's still It's still curiosity status. And some of that comes down to a few of the changes that were made. They cut out a little bit of the ambiguity. We have the U.S. Robert. We're still splicing in characters for the U.S. Yeah, that's true. Though, I, I mean, the major, like, the villain, essentially, of the movie is, like, there's a local mayor that sells, like, a natural resource that doesn't belong to him to a business that's, like, rapaciously profiting from post-war industrialization. Like, all that stays in the American version. They don't change any of that. Yeah, we're not cutting <laughs> out as much of that. We're just removing some edges. 
at this point. We're not changing the whole theme. Oh, man. I love listening to this again. Godzilla's musical theme is one of my all-time favorite pieces of movie music. I love it. It gives me little chills every time I hear it. It's probably going to be how we open this. Oh, yeah, it definitely should be. Such a good theme. There's a lot to be said about the level of talent involved in this franchise, because... Uh, A.G. Subaraya himself was doing effects on this. Uh, you can go back into one of the previous bonus episodes where I was talking about how Subaraya kind of became the top-tier film effects, tokusatsu effects Yeah, house. that's, that's Subaraya production, Subaraya, right? Yeah, the guy who founded it. Yeah, because there's a, a bunch of good effects in this movie, both, uh, like, they do some speed ramping stuff where, uh, that, and it looks like they incorporated some, like, uh, some, uh, stop motion animation into certain parts of it, but, uh. There would be. It's a, a really impressive movie here, overall. Uh, there's a whole, I didn't actually know this until looking into some of the special features, uh, all of the water scenes are shot on or around actual tanks we're not just using things there's a full backlot tank they had in toho studios at the time for some of the island shots oh yeah yeah that's actually a thing that was there and they started playing around with different scale to make it work but yeah they the ocean shots and the edge of the island yeah we haven't uh we haven't mentioned them yet but uh the Mothra's little miniature twin characters that are uh in this movie uh there's also a couple scenes where they would have had to build giant sets for the shots that they're in. Yes. So that's kind of fun. Uh the Shobijin, uh little beauties. On the Wikipedia page for this movie it's uh, uh in the list of film stars uh it, it's like a bunch of Japanese names and then the peanuts and I didn't know who the Peanuts were. Apparently, they are they were a uh, singing duo that played the Shovision. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. They, yeah. A lot of... I don't want to say idol culture, but a lot of duets, uh, Japanese duets, got 60s to 70s international fame that way uh the peanuts got a bit of a career running around we had the band pink lady who were known in the u.s for a very infamous failed variety show with a western comedian that was just called pink lady and jeff (laughs) interesting approach um we were we were at the point where you know they were no longer our enemies now they're just this this was the beginning of the weird Japan phase before they tried spinning cool Japan later. <laughs> There's been a lot of international... That's also another topic we could go into another time, but I don't have that research and I'm not sticking my foot in my mouth. Yeah, that's also a really big topic. <laughs> yeah. Me overreaching yeah, I mean, bounds? That- Never. That's another reason why I suggested we start with Mothra vs. Godzilla here, because if we did the first movie, I would definitely feel obligated to do a lot of research and give that one a serious discussion, because it's like one of the more important films in film history, really. And also just the sheer discussion of the wide reworking it got in its original release. 
Yeah, yeah, it's like it's two different movies. Yeah, basically to the point that uh, that one is the only thing in the Showa set that you have two discs for. There's a U.S. and an American disc. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, yeah, yeah. You, you probably want both of these. They're both quite infamous. Yeah, I have the uh, the Criterion Collection back from when it was just the first movie, and it it includes both versions. And they're both worth a watch, because it's very interesting to see what the skeleton of this film becomes in the international distributor's hands. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I think that you could probably call what the American production company did to the original Godzilla, you could probably call it unethical, honestly, but also I don't, I really don't envy the the task that was set to them of like how do we pitch this movie that's about war crimes we committed and this country that we like um like we have a problem with them but also they feel guilty about it and like it's kind of fucked up all around how do we make this for an american audience and i think that's also part of what got the uphill battle that kind of sidelined Shin Godzilla, what should have been a major push in the West, and internationally, it kind of just became something similar to the originals. It'll run at some art house cinema for a little, and then eventually we'll put out a Blu-ray and that's it. And they just buried it. Yeah, yeah. And they and That came out, a, it didn't come out in English until quite a while after it came out in Japanese, too. We've talked about a lot of things other than this movie now. It's true. It's, to be fair, it's a 90-minute film that, if you get down to brass tacks, not a lot happens in it to describe. No, I mean, the plot is not, like, that complicated, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a lot of, a fair amount of the screen time is taken up with monster fights. <laughs> yeah. The, the plot of Jaws happens... Uh, in yeah. that a local mayor decides to ignore all sorts of laws and ethics and goes, ah, oh, you know what? You know what? Business. And as a result, uh, the stonks man smiles and a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get to the actual monster fight because someone finds the eggs of Mothra's larvae sells them to a businessman because, well, what else are we going to do? The whole thing... Yeah, we found them in our ocean. That means we can make money off of it. And unfortunately, as is the rule of giant monsters, if one thing washes up on your shore, another thing is going to wash up on your shore, and the second thing is a very radioactive Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, the the movie doesn't treat the introduction of Godzilla like it's... It's buried, like it's even a thing, really. That like he just gets. I mean, he's buried underground and then stands up and starts breaking shit. And everyone's like, "Oh yeah, we knew this could happen." Basically, <sighs> we never do finish the job. <laughs> this, like all the characters just act like this was a known quantity that the audience should have just assumed the <laughs> was a, a possibility going in. It's incredibly funny to me that yeah, by four films in. The world-shaking radioactive beast has just become, oh, Tuesday again. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, 
there's a there's a whole ecological plot about how well maybe Mothra doesn't want to help you for stealing her kids and okay but beseech the fairies perhaps we need to do something and all right Mothra yeah. will show up yeah there's some some pretty uh some pretty like uh some emotional dialogue about how the fairies are like uh this war that you started got our island nuked yep and like uh we're mad at you about that why should we help you there is and you know that's kind of the most the kind of the most ethical question of the film we're not in the territory of Godzilla the giant metaphor for nuclear carnage anymore. Godzilla is just a force of nature which might not have a strong opinion here. Just like, I'm away. Yeah, Godzilla's a hurricane at this point. Yeah, Godzilla has become the natural disaster. Godzilla's in SimCity mode. Remember SimCity? I do. I've never actually played any of those. Oh, um... They they were sandboxes, and one of the things in them was, you know, it would naturally just RNG up some disasters here and there, so you didn't just, like, completely steamroll over things with enough time and patience. Right, like, right. sometimes a fire breaks out, sometimes there's a hurricane. Uh, from the original onwards, even though they had to change this for legal reasons after some printings, you could just have a giant lizard start stomping around your town, and that eventually became a UFO. Oh, yeah. Did, uh, didn't they turn that into Bowser in the Super Nintendo version? They did, because that was a way to get around the fact that they were nearly sued <laughs> over <laughs> a certain someone. Yeah, yeah. But it was always kind of a cute little Easter egg that just like, okay, natural disaster, natural, you know, flood, hurricane, crazy thunderstorm, Godzilla. Yeah, these are all equal. <laughs> And, yeah, so as the back half of the plot kicks off, everything sort of, we we must beseech the fairies to send Mothra to aid us. All right. However, once Mothra shows up, uh, you also still have the little bit of the drama in that, you know, the mayor and the businessmen did kind of make this deal of questionable everything, and when the larvae hatch... Suddenly, I no longer have what I want, and I didn't pay you, so um, every one of them dies, both first with one shooting the other, then Godzilla just toppling the whole building they're in. Yeah, the, I really I really love this scene, actually, because um, the, the sequence where the, the two characters who are, like, motivated by greed in the movie, well, the the business guy has had a filing cabinet full of money that they referenced earlier and so the guy goes into his office they start fighting over it it is the most brutal thing in the movie up until that point like it gets really bloody and they like hurt each other real bad and like that that little tip that uh honda puts in of just like uh you know like men fighting each other for money is, you know, scarier than monsters and stuff. Like, you know, it's not subtle, but it's a Godzilla movie. That's great stuff. It's rare that you had human-on-human -human violence. 
in these because generally it's people uniting against the threat of Godzilla. But by this point, Godzilla is not a world-ending threat. Godzilla is becoming routine, so people are not coming together in a sense of camaraderie. People are going, what's in it for me? Or, eh, they'll handle that, but I gotta get mine out of this. Yeah, it... Oh, God. I mean, it's definitely a little bit of a progression of uh, the first world mindset of the 20th century, too, of like, well, we're going to have a crisis every other week or so, so let me just make sure that I come out of these ahead. That'll be what I focus on. And um, this will also <laughs> fall by the wayside a bit in the coming films. We're st we still have original directorial and production cast on it, so they're, they're still thematic with it. They're still writing in this uh, text and subtext. Within a couple more after this, we get to the era where Godzilla was explicitly for children. Yeah. And then a lot of things start toning down or getting um goofier. Some of this some of these later films are the ones that you might have seen on MST3K. Which ones did they run on MST3K? I don't actually know. Okay, so Godzilla vs. Megalon was one. Oh, Megalon is like one of the silliest movies ever. Yes. And Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. And Oh, that would be Ebira. You actually can't get these. on. They're one of the few that you cannot get unless you got a DVD set when it came out. This was one of the first times right. that rights got yanked away from... I think it was Big Brain's then Shout Factory. I think Shout Factory currently does the MST3K box sets. Yes, yeah. But yeah, these, I've never seen these, even though I've been aware of them for years, because uh, they have not been legally available for many, many years now. Yeah, uh, if you happen to want to borrow some of my tapes next time we're in town together, perhaps you can do that. Hmm, that would be cool. I would actually love to see these. Yeah, absolutely. They were uh, all in season two. In fact, they aired back to back. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's it's very early. It's a weird tone. But yeah, that was how I was introduced I mean, to some of this. As big as as big of film nerds as the, the guys were who did MST3K, they must have like really been excited once they saw the... the TV studio they were working for had a couple Godzilla movies on hand that they could watch and make fun of. Yep, and one of them in the very weird English cut. Oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, uh, they they start getting real... They get childish. We have, uh, I guess, the U.S. version you might know as Godzuki, the character. But yeah, son of Godzilla. And that whole chapter in the life of the character i mean like destroy all monsters basically that's movie eight yeah and they basically do like kind of a big it's almost like it's the climax of the whole toho giant monster thing they're all in a movie together it's all about environmentalism aliens show up and like that's a that's like a, a big blowout the very next one is all monsters attack which is literally a children's fantasy. Yeah. Like, it's a movie where a kid learns from Godzilla's son how to deal with bullies. And, like, I'm not saying that to be dismissive. Like, there's a place for that. But, like, it's a very clear indicator of what direction the franchise was going. Yeah, after 
Son of Godzilla, we start getting very childish with it. And that's when we have a change in staff. And before the Showa era ends, we'll go back to some of those original creators a time or two. And they they very much step up the quality, but budgets were shrinking and these were being marketed towards children rather than as cautionary tales. They're they're just Saturday morning fare. Yeah. Uh I mean they go until eventually oh, what? I think Megalon's the last of the Showa ones, or is that Hedera? It is Terror of Mechagodzilla. Oh, okay. Right, right. Mechagodzilla was the last one. Yeah. Those Mechagodzilla movies are fun, but they're not, like, as strongly themed as uh, some of the other ones are. No, once we get to the point of uh, man and or aliens have decided that they need their own Godzilla, then the the themes are kind of falling off. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, they they cut the series off there, and they eventually rebooted it in nineteen eighty five. I think is I think eighty five with what was just essentially a remake of the first Godzilla movie. Uh, in the U.S., it was called Godzilla eighty five. The film came out in eighty four as the Return of Godzilla. Oh, right, like how Godzilla two thousand actually came out in ninety nine. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that that happened a few times. And like so many of the Godzilla movies, this ends with. Well, Godzilla wins or is defeated, in this case, is defeated. But you can't finish off Godzilla because Godzilla has survival instinct and goes, you know where you can't reach me? Underwater. Peace! With two claws. <laughs> yeah, the the whole ending sequence is these moth larvae just spraying, like, white, white sticky stuff all over Godzilla uh, for like 10 minutes until he gets so covered in stuff that he uh, can't move and falls in the ocean and they're just like he's gone. Yeah, <laughs> nobody ever decides to finish off Godzilla in these first couple and later on it will just be well Godzilla wins, does a victory dance in the quarry and leaves but right now it's just it, no, no, we have missiles we have weapons We uh, alright, sure <laughs> Well, if you go back to the original, it was part of the premise that, like, he could only be really destroyed by the Oxygen Destroyer, and that guy, like, died with the formula so it could never be used again. Which did also... He just didn't know that there were two Godzillas, so that was a dumb decision. <laughs> to be fair, who would have known there were two Godzillas? <laughs> really, I mean, we could barely blame him. Yeah, I can't, I can't give him any guff for going, I have created the most ultimate destructive weapon in the world, and this dies with me. Yeah, like, Oops. that would be a pretty great decision if there didn't turn out to be two Godzillas, you know? It was a heroic sacrifice until then. <laughs> so many professors in the Godzilla franchise make so many moves that seem incredibly noble until you realize, damn it, you fool, you've doomed us all. <laughs> I did want to talk about how uh, these Mothra larvae are basically the inspiration for every worm monster from tiny to huge that you've ever seen in a video game. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the, the big worm monster from Zelda, that's these guys. In fact, all of the big worm monsters from Zelda are all these guys. Caterpie is just these with the cuter color palette. Uh, some of the Digimon, Wormmon, etc., they're these dudes. Yeah, yeah. They're just all... The, the design on the Mothra larva was very influential, clearly. And 
as far as I know, not drawing from anything else. This was just like, someone went, how do we make a puppet suit worm? Uh, all right, that works. And everyone I, stuck with it. W- weird personal touchstone here. Did you ever read the Animorphs novels? I have a buddy who is trying to get me to read them, but I have specifically been told I need to wait until they get to one of the big super ones so I can go in blind on that and record for their podcast. Oh, okay. So I am <laughs> I am waiting until they get to Elminster or whatever that one is. The Elemist. The Elemist, yeah. You know, the, the guy who hung out with uh, Ed Greenwood in his study. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I hope you have fun with that. They are good novels, but they are written at an extremely basic reading level, so they're kind of hard to revisit now. I but anyway. read one or two of them when they were new because it was sort of hard to not find them when I had younger siblings. They were a lot of them. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the fact that there were uh, 50 plus, 60 plus that meant I didn't get far. And I saw a bit of the television show. Anyway, I bring it up just to be like that one of the common recurring aliens in that series was the taxons, which are described. They're described in the novel as centipedes with giant red eyes. Um, my mind did not accept that and just imagine them as moth- the Mothra larvae. They were just always the Mothra larvae in my head, totally disregarding however they dis- described them. There is no- there is nothing that you need to make up about the Animorph series. Th- that Elemist character that we were talking about, uh, his backstory is that he was like an alien live streamer <laughs> until... These al- until another race of aliens show up and assume that they're broadcasting mass murders that they're doing, and then murder his entire race, and then he gets trapped in like a years long brain duel with the devil until he takes over half of the devil's body and is now like trying to prevent the universe from being destroyed. There's a lot about that I could ask questions about, but I think I'm going to just wait. That is a, that is not an, an accurate summation of the Elemist Chronicles. Okay, okay. I, I think this made more sense to me when I assumed a red-cloaked wizard was just running around that world. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, um, the, the, you know, this, this has a happy ending. This is, again big old turning point for Godzilla and we will have to come back to both pre and post Mothra Godzilla as we do some of these. Oh yeah. 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 I I definitely would love to revisit some more of these because this one was a ton of fun to rewatch. Yeah. Here and there we should really just stockpile these as rainy day material. I'm trying to get a build up of these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So how did you react to the uh, third act actually like 3.5 act decision to be like, oh no, there's children and a teacher on this island, we need to raise the stakes so that we can go save them. That happens so much more as the series goes on, because they're just like, well, we can't have you thinking cool monster fights and violence are the point, so we need to have anyone who's in danger. I was just like, the Godzilla was already breaking shit. Like, this was already bad. There don't need to be any more stakes. Yeah, we're not... <laughs> we kind of glossed over, Mothra gets ganked. Mothra dies. 
Oh yeah, yeah, we we skipped that. Like adult Mothra is old and poisoned because of the nuclear bombing that their island went through. So the the Shovijin basically are like Mothra's going to fight this one Godzilla fight for you, but they're not going to make it out alive. Like hopefully they'll win, but they are on their last legs. And in fact, the larvae are the ones who have to finish off the wounded Godzilla, and that's how you get Mothra's later. You let the larva live, that's how you get Mothra's. What, uh, I think maybe one of the last points I wanted to bring up, I don't actually know if you want to talk about this, because I'm not sure if I'm qualified. The weird depiction of the natives of this island? (laughs) Alright, so, in brief, this is definitely a... I don't know if it's meant to be judgmental, but it's definitely a colored view of people who are not participating in the modern society. However, it's also meant to be sympathetic because, again, they were hit by nuclear testing, which is a thing that, you know, a lot of innocent people Mm. of a few races in Japan were. Uh, Fishermen, etc., uh, with some of yeah, the, the bikini atoll stuff, the director's clearly pretty sympathetic. Like, I mean, entirely sympathetic to their posi- to the the natives of I think Infant Island. Is Infant the name Island, of the island, yes. He he's totally sympathetic to their position here, but also like, okay, they use a lot of visual language for these people that in America would be like racist, darkest Africa coding. But it's, like, East Asian people depicting other East Asian people, so, like... But then I'm like, okay, hold on, I know that Japan has had problems with, like, the native Ainu and stuff. There are some islands that do have this ethnic conflict with the Japanese government, so... uh, This one's above my pay grade. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know that the film (laughs) has enough that it's saying here so much as it's just being, like... I guess you could read into it a little with Infant Island being the title, but no, the the director is on record as saying that they wanted this place to be partially wrecked by nuclear testing. They wanted to show the terror and the power of the atomic bomb and what it leaves behind, how it's not just the bomb falls, it's over. No, this changes things for generations, and that's kind of it. Yeah, which I think is actually extremely effective, because you meet the Shobijin, like, early in the movie, and they talk about their island for a while. We get there at the halfway point, and it's like a blasted, black, rocky hellscape with, like, animal bones everywhere. It's extremely, like, oh, they were not understating the impact of that nuclear testing. (laughs) Oh, you wondered why we were so (laughs) hesitant to touch this? Yeah, here's why. It's... Yeah, the the actual direction things start moving. You have a director, uh, Subaraya is involved. You have some of the production team who are still trying to keep the spirit alive, but they've been doing this for 10 years at this point, give or take. There's People are starting to get moved onto other things or try their own stuff or just you know, Subaraya 
gets a little out of this or starts giving it to assistance because the company is taking more time. And so... Yeah, Tsuburaya eventually has its fingers in, like, every live-action production in Japan, basically. <laughs> yeah, to this so, day, uh, there's still... Uh, probably a good metaphor would be how LucasArts and um, ILM are such a major oh, yeah. design over here. You know, Star Wars, Big Gat, all that, and they became the gold standard for effects work in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, like, you'll still see Subaraya's, uh, like, credits pop up in the titles of tons of stuff, so. Okay, well, um, let me see. I, that's probably everything, and I don't want to give you too much editing work to do, so, uh. I don't. We about ready to call it for this one? I think we are, yeah. If you, listeners, actually have any sort of... If you would have a request for where we should go after this, hey, go back to the first Godzilla. Hey, maybe hit this one that I love. Hey, have you ever tried revisiting that 1998 Godzilla? Throw something at us. Hit us up at journeythroughthedeckcast at gmail.com or bother myself on Twitter at Bustrider, Garrett on Twitter at Shadro. Shadro. Make sure to spell that correctly and don't get the... Canadian health the Canadian minister, health minister. <laughs> which is a thing uh, that has happened. <laughs> I am still warm with why, as always, and and I hope you all have a nice night. And if you want to, if you want to bother Evan about this, um, he's on he's on Steam. Play play the game of finding him. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love it if you just burst into a Counter Strike server with him and go. What about the time that Mothra fought back? <laughs> Ah, yeah. Get get on and uh, like just go into a random, uh, some random room he's in and be like, I don't really like Kevin Ryder Amazon's that much. I don't think you were fair to <laughs> Kiva at all. <laughs> I have been waiting for the day that that happens to me, and it has not happened yet. I think you're gonna catch any feedback if uh, you guys turn on Fies. <laughs> uh, Garrett will probably uh, throw a fit if that happens anyway. So. We'll know before it goes out. Fize is alright. <laughs> I've revisited Fize recently. With that, we'll see you next time. <laughs>